Where is he named? Where do you see him in the ministry of Jesus? And the answer is nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. And as soon as this is over, and he takes the body of Jesus down, and he wraps it in a linen shroud and lays it in the tomb cut in stone where no one was ever like, where do you hear of Joseph again after that? And the Gospels are in the book of Acts in the early church. Where do you hear of him again? Nowhere. Absolutely. No. Isn't that amazing? It, in that way, <clears throat> he is a great enigma. The Bible tells us several things about Joseph. <clears throat> the only time he's alluded to uh, that I know of in the text other than uh, in the gospel accounts where he's burying the bodies in a, is in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9, where Isaiah in this great messianic passage tells us that they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. With a rich man in his death. His grave with the wicked, the idea, uh, we suppose that he is being, uh, he's going to be crucified with the two thieves. We understand that uh, from the scriptures. The rich man in his death is Joseph. He is a rich man. The Bible says in Luke's account that he is a good and an upright man. Let, let me say something to you. Rich people get a bad rap a lot of times. There are assumptions made about people of means <clears throat> that sometimes are terribly unfair and sometimes terribly general and broad. Well, I'll tell you about rich people. They just all, uh, uh, they're just all greedy. All they think about is money. Really? I've known some poor people that every time they opened their mouth, all they were talking about was money, how much they needed it, how much they wanted it, what they would do with it if they had it. I'm not sure anybody has a monopoly on thinking about money or talking about it. You don't have to be rich to think about money. You don't have to be poor to think about money. Uh, somebody says, well, I'll tell you in the Bible, uh, poor people are the ones who had a heart for God. Did you ever hear of Job? Did you ever hear of Abraham? Did you ever hear of David, the man after God's own heart, or his son Solomon, who happened to be at the top of the Fortune 500? He, he, he made it. Joseph was a good and upright man. He was an enigma. He, he shows up out of nowhere he plays a tremendous role in the burial of Christ, and he disappears. We never hear about him again. That's strange. The text tells us he was a member of the Sanhedrin, a member of the council. That's significant to us because the council is the Sanhedrin, and it is the Supreme Court of the Jews. But even more so, they're the ones who just killed Jesus. They're the ones who arrested him. They're the ones who brought him before Pilate. They are the ones who are making the accusation. They are the ones who are creating the mob mentality and the riot on this occasion. Joseph was part of this August grade. If, if you're going to climb the ladder in Judaism, when you get to the top of the ladder, do you know what the top rung is? The council, the Sanhedrin. He was there. But it's not just that. It's not just that he made it to the top. 
But among those 70, 71 on the Sanhedrin, he was a prominent member. Mark tells us in his gospel. He was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin. I'm so happy I can walk to the side. Do you know in the Zoom service I have to stand right behind the mic? He's a prominent member. He, he was a, yeah, everybody on the Sanhedrin had influence. If you made it that far, you were somebody. But he is a somebody among the somebodies. He's an important man. And then we're told this remarkable thing in one quick statement by Luke in his gospel. He did not consent to the council's decision to put Jesus to death. Wow. Where did you hear that before? His voice had been completely drowned out in all of this mob mentality that was going on in this mob hysteria of the occasion. In fact, when you're reading through the gospel account up to this point, you just think it was unanimous. All the Sanhedrin is condemning the Christ. No. Luke tells us clearly, unmistakably, Joseph did not consent. It wasn't unanimous among all of them. And yet, he was a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. Maybe, maybe, he, maybe he wasn't invited that night. Maybe, maybe they met in the middle of the night. He didn't get the memo. His phone was turned off. I, I don't know. But I know one thing. The days of his secret discipleship were over. Those days were over. They had put Jesus to death, and Joseph found his faith. He found his courage, and he spoke up. Up to this point, nobody knew what he was really thinking about Jesus, but now the whole world for generations and generations will know of his belief. He showed courageous love for Jesus, and he showed tremendous respect for the body of Jesus. Something that the, he did something the apostles of Jesus did not do. After Jesus has suffered this humiliating, excruciating death of the cross, they did not go to Pilate asking the body for burial, but Joseph did. He went. A member of the very council that was demanding his death a prominent member, they knew Joseph for sure. He goes and asks for the permission to take the body of Jesus and bury it. And he had a friend, Nicodemus, who also is a ruler among the Jews. The one who came to Jesus by night. The one who later in John's Gospel in chapter 7 when the Sanhedrin is getting riled up and they're ready to go get him, ready to arrest him, ready to charge him with blasphemy, ready to have him beaten, ready to crucify him. He said, wait, wait, wait. Doesn't the law say? And do you remember what they said to him? Oh, Nicodemus, you're speaking up for him. Oh, are you from Galilee too? To say, are you from Galilee too, was not a compliment. It was a mockery of him. They were telling him that he was behaving and sounding as if he's one of these uneducated, illiterate, uninformed, 
unimportant, blue-collar, Galilean trash. That's what it sounded like. And they were letting him know that if he was going to give any indication that he stood with Jesus, they were done with him. Let me tell you, Joseph heard all of that. He was important on the council. He understood the price you pay if you identify with Jesus. But he didn't care at this point. They had put him to death, and he's ready to tell the world that he's a believer. He goes, and he gives to Jesus the very finest burial that is possible. He personally bought a new linen shroud to wrap the body of Jesus. He personally took the corpse of Jesus off the cross. Folks, you're talking about somebody in Jerusalem who is refined, educated, important, recognized by all, and suddenly he is engaging in behavior that is degrading to someone of his stature. He personally took that body and he placed it in his own new tomb, hewn out of rock, the tomb that belonged to him, the one that was being prepared for his burial. And keep in mind, he is somebody. Showing respect for the body of Jesus at this point. What, maybe that was all he could do to disassociate himself from this horrendous act of the council. If that's so, let it be so. He did what he could. And he did it well. And I'm reminding us this morning, God commends him for that. At least you can say the disciples of John the Baptist after he was beheaded by Herod they, they came and they claimed the body of John and the disciples of John buried the body of John, not the apostles of Jesus. Why not? I don't know, but I have an idea. Don't you? They're afraid. They ran away. They're scared. They, they think it's over. They don't believe. I don't know where they are. How beautiful the faith of this rich man who is good and righteous and was looking for the kingdom of God. Isaiah said, they're going to make his, his grave with the wicked and a rich man in his death. Three things very quickly. Number one. I want you to love this man because he was a man of courage. He was a man of conviction. He, he had the courage to be different and, and to stand alone. Somebody says, I'll tell you right now, I, I'm willing to, to give up my membership in the Moose Lodge. Well, the Moose Lodge. That's wonderful. My, I'm willing to give up my, my golf team, my bowling team. Well, all right. We're not talking about 
where, where you go for socialization, where you play pool, where, where you... This man is a member of the Jewish Supreme Court. And he was a man of influence on the Jewish Supreme Court. And he's ready right now to cut himself off. He's ready right now. If they want to call him a Galilean, call me a Galilean. You want to kick me off the team? Kick me off the team. This man belonged to the most educated the most powerful, the most affluent, the most prestigious class of first century Judaism. And he's ready to make his break and stand all by himself. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus that he might give him a proper burial. And in that, he exceeded, it appears, the faith of the apostles. Well, Peter had said earlier on that Thursday night, you remember, Jesus said the scripture must be fulfilled. The shepherd is going to be smitten. And all of you like sheep are going to be scattered. And Peter said, "Uh, Lord, excuse me, Lord, Lord, all the rest of these guys may be scattered, may run away. Not me, I'll be right there. Threw the whole team under the bus. Exalted himself, so sure of himself. And Jesus said, Peter, you're so, you're so bold right here with us, with, in this room, no, nobody's here, just us. I'm telling you, Peter, tonight before the rooster crows twice, you are going to deny me three times. And they go out to the garden to pray. And Jesus is praying earnestly, and Peter's asleep, and the others. And he comes and he wakes him, and he says, you ought to be praying that you do not enter into temptation. And the soldiers come, and he's scared, and he draws his sword, and Jesus rebukes him. And then they arrest Jesus and take him away, and the disciples fled. Later, Peter and John follow to see where they're going, but afar off. Joseph did something that the apostles of Jesus didn't do. Second thing I want you to notice is this. You see, Joseph, this man who's somebody, he is obviously rich. He is obviously powerful influential. He is important. He is also humble and selfless in what he's doing. He's willing to inconvenience himself to serve the Lord. He shows himself to be, have the heart or the attitude of the Good Samaritan. He's got the faith of a true believer. He, he's willing to dirty his own hands. Important people don't dirty their hands. He's willing to dirty his hands, literally and ceremonially. You know when he touched the body of Jesus, he can't participate in the Passover after that. He's touched a dead body. Let me tell you, what he's doing for Jesus isn't something that a proud man can do, and it is not convenient to bury someone, especially yourself with your own hands. With his own hands, he took 
the corpse of Jesus off the cross. And he wrapped it and he buried it. And I'm just reminding us, Jesus is reminding his disciples who are fighting for influence and position in the kingdom. He said, you want to be great in this kingdom? Then be a servant. Because that's the key to greatness. Servanthood in the kingdom of God is rarely convenient. And it's very often humbling. Joseph showed himself to be a servant. And finally, Joseph shows himself to be generous with his wealth. And he's generous with his personal stuff in this world. He had a lot of wealth. I assume he had nice stuff. I know one thing. A new tomb that has been chiseled out of solid rock, it's not for the average Joe. This is a tomb that is being chiseled and carved and prepared for someone of prominence. This is not the average burial place for a common Jew. This is something that he is preparing. How many years? I don't know. But this tomb has been in preparation for some time, and it is his own tomb. And that is where he chooses to place the body of our Lord. You know how rich people are. They just don't care. They don't care about other people. They don't... Listen to me. In the first century church in Acts chapter 4, what's one of the first things you learn about Christians? They're made up of people from all walks of life, from all parts of the world, speaking all kinds of languages. And some are tall and some are short and some have light skin, some have dark skin. Some speak one language, some speak another language. But you know what? They all love the Lord. And they love those that the Lord loved and they took care of one another. And those having houses and lands sold possessions and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet so that nobody was in want. I'm telling you, Joseph was that kind of person. Rich folks often get a bad rap. But I'm telling you, in the economy of God, it is not so. Being rich is not a sin. Being faithless is. So I say, I'll tell you what I, I appreciate about the apostles is Jesus chose those common fishermen, those Galilean fishermen. Yeah, he did, and he chose a zealot, and he chose a tax collector who was probably very rich, and he chose the apostle Paul who was highly educated. They were from all walks of life. But I'm reminding you of something. 
in the darkest moment of the life of Jesus, when he is yielding his body, a living sacrifice for us. We have no idea as he breathed his last why his apostles were not right there by him or why they were not first in line at the feet of Pilate begging permission to take the body of Jesus and give him a respectable burial. You know what they did with people who were crucified. No one came to claim them. Let me tell you, taking the corpse off of those nail. It was not, it wasn't pleasant. It was nasty. If someone didn't claim the body, the soldiers would come in a few days. The body would be removed, I won't tell you how. And it would be taken to Gehenna and thrown in the dung heap. I do not know why the 11 apostles did not do for Jesus what the disciples of John did for him, but I will tell you this, I thank God that there was a good and righteous rich man who took the body of our Lord and laid it in his own tomb. Somebody says, well, the, the council has done an horrendous thing. You know, you can't, he, he can't undo that. No, he could not undo that. But listen to me. He did what he could. He did what he could. And he did it well. And the Holy Spirit, 2,000 years later, still speaks his commendation to us. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, I would remind you that what the Lord wants of us is that we offer him what we have. Somebody said, well, I don't have what someone else has. That's right. None of us are exactly alike. I'll tell you what the Lord wants. He wants, he wants what you've got. He wants who you are. He wants you to do what you can. And I'll tell you what you can do if you're not a Christian. You can give your life to the Lord in faithful, genuine obedience to him. If you've never confessed him as the Christ and put on the Lord in baptism, you can do that. And if you're a child of God who needs to come home, you can do that too. While we stand and sing, we invite you to come.